Coming up on Studios America, Greg Wrightstone joins us with some inconvenient facts about climate change that you never hear Al Gore talking about. Beto is back. <laughs> yeah. And this time, hell yes, he's getting all of your guns. I can't wait. And remember when the left used to at least pretend to care about the issues they so gleefully forced down our throats. And yeah, all that went out the window a long time ago when Joe Biden lurched in. So let's do the left and their expiring narratives. Stu does America. <laughs> what a weekend. I mean, seriously, did you hear about the giant rally going on? Oh, man, that was crazy. The, a giant rally that threatened our entire system that stressed out the very way of life that we expect to achieve here in America. I mean, was I talking about the DC rally for January 6th? <laughs> no, no, of course I am not. Nobody showed up to that thing. Why? Because no one wanted to show up to it. Um, not the one in DC because basically it was empty. Here's what it looked like in Washington, DC. Uh, wow, I mean, that looks, <laughs> There's a flag, there's a couple sets of overalls, a red hat or two, about 12 people, and 847,918 media members. That is the type. Now, it's fascinating to watch this. Honestly, this looks like, this is, I mean, my kids' Little League games this weekend were better attended than this thing. And yet it made constant news in the lead-up. A very small gathering of people saying, uh, those charged in the January 6th riots uh, were being treated too harshly. Set aside whether you believe that or not. The point here is that it is not some giant movement. It was not a real threat. They did not need a wall to protect the Capitol uh, from this. It just wasn't that. It was a media creation and it wasn't real. However, there was uh, a few FBI agents there that showed up. I love this. Everyone was tweeting the same thing when they saw this. These guys are just normal protesters. Look at them. They are definitely not undercover agents. Hello, fellow kids. I, how, how is high school today? I mean, those guys just do not look. <laughs> I hate to stereotype, but, uh, you know, people who go to, to, to January 6th riots tend to look, um, uh, you know, they have, usually have bigger beer bellies than that. I mean, that's just... That's why I would belong there. But no, you need to have a bigger beer be belly to go to a January 6th rally. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, uh, the real rally that was going on that was actually potentially threatening uh, our way of life and putting stress on the system happened not in D.C., but here in Texas on the border where 15,000 people are now gathered in one little section under a bridge where they're making makeshift huts and shelters to survive the 100 degree heat and moving them like they're a sundial into the shade so they can survive these terrible conditions. What a bizarre scene that you'd think you're only seeing on the border of Darfur or Syria. I mean, it doesn't look like that. It could even be close to America, but it is. It's in the state uh, that I live in. In fact, it wasn't just these people who were under the bridge. A lot of people saw those pictures and thought, wow, that's that situation seems a little bit out of control. What are they doing about it? I'll show you what they're doing about it. They're letting hundreds and hundreds more cross the border. Watch this. 
Alright guys, what you're looking at right now is that is the U.S. side of the Rio Grande. That is a mass of several hundred illegal immigrants who have just crossed the Rio Grande. And look at this, several hundred more streaming across as we speak. We're on a boat in the Rio Grande. This is the Mexican side of the river right now. You can see it's a never-ending stream. Hundreds of people crossing the Rio Grande basically every hour. And they're heading over to the International Bridge, which you can see in the background. Look at that mass of people. This is why the situation under the bridge continues to deteriorate. This is insane. The federal government has to wake up. Oh, you're right. I mean, it's incredible. This, these visuals are incredible. By the way, captured by Fox News, which almost all of the footage of this happening was uh, captured by Fox News. Very little by any of the other big news networks. All of their reporters were in D.C. to cover a gathering of eight people. Now, apparently, all those hundreds and hundreds of media members that went there to take pictures of, you know, three people in red hats, those people couldn't be bothered to go to the border and actually check this out. Alejandro Mayorkas is going down to the border here, supposedly to get an operational briefing from Texas. 26 governors are now seeking a meeting with Biden over the border surge. And this is hilarious because we've gone through this period here where, you know, for the last few years, it's been a constant mocking of the right for their worry about caravans that could come to the border and and create real problems there. Pre-COVID, this was a big issue. And when we said this stuff is happening, here are the quotes from the actual activists putting it together. We were called racists for pointing that out. Now, here is one of those situations. Um, uh, they are now deporting many of these uh, people. They are from Haiti. Well, I should say this, they're Haitian in theory. Now, we had some commentary from uh, the government that basically alluded to the fact that Haiti's gone through some tough times and we will be accepting, uh, trying to help at least, some uh, Haitian citizens. That was kind of taken as an invitation to come to the border. And now we have people who are, are flooding the border here in Haiti. And I, I, and I, you gotta, or excuse me, from Haiti here in Texas. And you step back and you think to yourself, wait a minute. Let me just put, let me just noodle this one for a second. Haiti had this earthquake relatively, relatively recently. They've had real problems uh, in their, in their country recently. But how exactly does someone who has very little to no money in Haiti get to the U.S. border in Texas? Now, maybe, you know, we've seen the makeshift boats that, uh, you know, come from Cuba, cross the water, you know, came to the, uh, the southern shore of Florida. You can kind of understand how that's, uh, you know, maybe that's an approach if they had better boats. Um, but to get all the way to Texas, to cross the Mexico-Texas border, seems, I don't know, implausible if you're in Haiti and this stuff is going on a few weeks ago. So what's causing all this? What they're finding is, most of these immigrants are not coming from Haiti. They're people that came from Haiti to places like Venezuela and Colombia and other Central American countries after the 2010 earthquake. So these are people who have lived in Central America for a long time and now are seeing their, hey, this president is telling us to come. Why not take advantage of this? Now, they are shipping away uh, a lot of these people back to Haiti and Haiti's had its own set of problems recently. They don't actually want their citizens back. 
This is a sad commentary, but they're like, hey, guys, you know, we just had this major earthquake and I don't know if you've been watching the news, but we won't let our prime minister leave the country right now because we think he might have killed the old prime minister. So maybe our little paradise on Earth is not exactly the right target for multiple flights coming in and dumping people there. What's interesting, of course, is that when the, the people who, were, who came to the border from Colombia, from Venezuela, they come there, they come to these squalid conditions on the Texas border. They keep crossing back into Mexico to get food and then coming back across again. Why we don't stop them on the second trip, I don't know. And then they realize they're getting flown back to Haiti, the place they escaped 10 years ago. So they're, they're landing and they're saying, wait a minute, no one told us we're going back to Haiti. We didn't want to go back. Who wants to go to Haiti? Not us. We escaped Haiti 10 years ago. Now you're putting us back here? We don't even know anyone. Our family's not here anymore. Some of the people have, have been out of Haiti so long, leaving when they were younger, they don't even speak the dialect anymore. Does it matter? I guess not to the left. Why? Because the left has a certain amount of narratives and these narratives always expire. If you remember back in the Obama administration, Jim Garrity, a writer for National Review, used to always say this and it stuck with me all these years. He used to always say every statement from Barack Obama comes with an expiration date. Whenever he says something, at some point later, it'll expire. He'll move on to the next point because I don't know, and I'm, this is my analysis of the situation, quite often these things are just things. They're just things they say in that moment because it helps them in that moment. These aren't hardcore, heartfelt beliefs. They're just things they say, and at some point their utility expires, and we all move on to the next thing and act as if they didn't think those, uh, those issues were incredibly important not so long ago. And now, like milk, we are having a lot of narratives expire on the left. And some of these heartfelt beliefs have gone missing. They've gone missing since January 20th, like the fact that the left cares so much about people on the border. Missing the left's compassion for immigrants. Last seen January 20th, 2021. Remember how much they criticized Donald Trump, uh, the evil border guards. Um, remember AOC going to the border fence with her, you know, really expensive outfit and, and watch and fake crying at the crowd that was not actually there. But since they cropped the picture the right way, it could have been a crowd of children there. Oh, we all remember that. We all remember the cages. Oh, we all remember how much they cared about that. Did they, though? Because I don't remember what happened to that compassion. This has been an unmitigated catastrophe on the border ever since Joe Biden took office and reversed all these Trump era rules. And you can be critical of Trump or you can love Trump. But the bottom line is, at least he had some level of a plan to deal with the border. Joe Biden's apparently plan is to just let it rip and then say, you know, suck it to every person who comes to the border and has to deal with terrible, terrible conditions. There's no more uh, warm hearts. There's no more crying AOC. It's all gone because here's the thing. They never meant 
a word of it. They never meant a word of it. These narratives expire because they're not built on anything. The foundation of care for illegal immigrants only extends to the second its utility disintegrates. And when that goes away, when they no longer getting any use as a cudgel against a Republican president, all of that caring dies. It dies a painful but still quick death. And that is where it is right now. I mean, I know it's the milk carton said missing, but I hate to break it to you. Uh, dead. OK, this is dead until it gets uh, reinvigorated next time there's a Republican in power. The same thing is going on right now with the left's compassion for COVID-19 and their victims. The left's compassion for victims of COVID-19 last seen January 20th, 2021. Do you remember when we used to count every single death and assign it to Donald Trump and his administration? Do you remember when we used to come out and say, oh gosh, 400,000 deaths, that's all on Donald Trump. Well, what about the next 300,000 here in the first nine months of this year? What about them? Are they assigned to Joe Biden? who not only has had uh, 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 you know, enough time by far now to implement whatever policies he thinks he's going to get in, but the other part of this is he's had the vaccines the whole time. Donald Trump, his entire time they were trying to figure out the virus, trying to figure out how to treat it, trying to come up with a vaccine. Joe Biden's had the vaccine the entire time. 70% of adults plus are vaccinated and all this stuff's still happening. How do you explain that? It's certainly not competence. The explainer for that one is not, yeah, yeah, you know what? That makes it really, really competent. And yes, you know what? Yes, you can say, okay, well, it's mostly unvaccinated people. Well, it was all unvaccinated people in 2020. All of them. You didn't seem to care then. And now there are sites being built. Sites being built. There's one called sorryantivaxer.com, which just highlights people who posted things on social media that were skeptical of the vaccine, and then when they die, they get a memoriam on the site. I mean, is that, what kind of human being does that? To sit there and say, oh, well, basically celebrate the death of a fellow human being because they didn't, because you know what, let's even say the worst case scenario, they're totally wrong. They should have been vaccinated. They would have been fine if they were vaccinated and now they're dead. Even if you think that's true, uh, you don't celebrate that type of person. Also, we have uh, a situation where the left's uh, narrative of follow the rules, follow the science is shot. We saw what happened with the booster shots uh, the other day where the Biden administration led the science, didn't follow it, led it, told everybody boosters were coming. And then when the scientists looked at it, they said eh, 16 to 2, nobody needs them. I mean, not nobody. Uh, some they did rule that older people and, uh, and people who had uh, pre-existing conditions and such at high risk of COVID could maybe benefit from a booster. But there's no reason to give everybody a booster shot. That's not, there's no reason to do that. Following the science, no. Leading the science, yes. And now we have these restrictions that the, the left keeps putting in and then completely ignoring. Gavin Newsom almost got recalled. I mean, three weeks ago, looked like he had a good chance of being recalled, wound up surviving the recall election. Largely, though, the reason he was in danger was because he's a hypocrite. He put these rules in and then went out to the French laundry and ate inside anyway. Well, the San Francisco mayor got caught doing the same thing, saying she had all these rules, then going in and taking her mask off indoors. And her excuse could be the single dumbest thing 
I've ever heard in my entire life. Watch. I had a good time at the Black Cat. And I think it's sad that um, this is even a story. Um, The fact is um, there was something that was really um, monumental that occurred. Okay, what's monumental? And that is Tony, 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 the original members, the brothers, Raphael Sadiq (laughs) and Dwayne Wiggins, who have not performed in public for I believe at least over 20 years. Oh. They are just really no. um, some of the most incredible artists oh, of course they in are. the history of this country and the what? Bay Area in particular. <laughs> and the fact that that is getting lost here Tony, is very Tony. unfortunate. Not Tony. to mention the incredible trumpeter, mm. oh, Maurice Mobetta Brown, oh. who oh. is just phenomenal. Okay. These incredible musicians who performed mm. and who really uplifted the spirits of not just myself, no. but all of the people who were there. Everybody. I was sitting at my table and when, I don't know about you and whether or not you know who Raphael Sadiq and Dwayne Wiggins are, the Dwayne but Wiggins. I don't know about you, but if you know who they are, I don't care where you're sitting, you're gonna get up and start dancing. My drink was sitting at the table mm-hmm. I got up and started dancing because I was feeling the spirit. Oh, okay. And I wasn't thinking about a mask. Oh, see, she was feeling the spirit and not thinking about a mask, which makes it totally okay, you know, because of the monumental event of Tony, Tony, Tony reuniting. I mean, if if the actual Beatles, including the dead ones, started promo- started performing, maybe I'd give you a break on that. But Tony, 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 no, no, you're going to need to follow your own dumb rules. Of course, the rule is stupid and she shouldn't have to agree with it because it's a dumb rule. But she made everyone else deal with it. So now so, so, so should she. And it is a story. And even though Raphael Sadiq was there, I don't think that excuses her. How about the left's compassion for women? Oh, yes. Missing. Missing and gone. The left's compassion for women, last seen January 20th, 2021. Now, apparently, women, little girls, can't even play high school sports because they're lower on the the food chain when it comes to grievance politics. All of this comes together and is just presented over and over again in the same way. These narratives are super duper strong until they don't benefit the left anymore and then the media completely abandons them. Do you remember the coverage of Donald Trump on the border? Do you remember the coverage of January 6th? When they'll keep that narrative going because right now it benefits them. But the border is the opposite, so it goes away. Despite the fact that these two events are completely different in scale. One was 15,000 people on the border overrunning an, the, the entire force to the, to the fact that Texas had to basically go down and back it up and, and, and create their own border force just to make sure that this situation didn't get out of control. But 500 media members can cover 12 people in Washington, D.C. It's a disgrace, boys and girls, and it's not going to stop. If you happen to be one of those people that stays up a little too late scrolling through social media at the horrors of what our world has become, uh, you might have some bags under your eyes. You might have some puffiness under your eyes. They don't need to be there. 
And now you can get rid of them with GenuCell from the makers of Chamonix. Uh, my mom, uh, is her birthday coming up soon. She loves Chamonix products. In fact, she always reminds me when she's running a little low on Chamonix. Uh, just a, a little hint to make sure that some more comes her way. Uh, it's guaranteed to show further uh, results in as little as 12 hours and uh, dramatic improvement in just 12 weeks or your money back. So you think of the, the, the best in skincare, maybe you're like, eh, I don't think it's really gonna work for me. Well, I'll give you your money back if it doesn't. You know, nothing to lose here. GenuCell contains eight extra ingredients to significantly reduce the appearance of bags and puffiness. You can get brilliant long-term results as well. There's free shipping, free returns. Chamonix wants to, uh, to kind of give you these results and let you save with 50% off all GenuCell packages right now, including uh, big time favorites like the GenuCell for under eye bags and puffiness and GenuCell immediate effects for results in as little as 12 hours, 50% off. Go to lovegenucell.com slash stew to, to receive the 50% off all GenuCell package offer. It's lovegenucell.com slash stew, lovegenucell.com slash stew. Happy to welcome into the studio Greg Wrightstone. He's the geologist, executive director of the CO2 Coalition, and author of the excellent book, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Greg, thanks for coming on. Oh, good, good to be back with you. There's always climate change to talk about. There is, and I appreciate you staying. You have a flight coming up, and you decided to stay, uh, even though I know you want to get to spewing that CO2 into the atmosphere. I do appreciate you doing this. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I love CO2, so I'm okay with a big carbon footprint. <laughs> that's right, that's right. It's, it shows a sign of a growing economy. Um, let's go to, through some of the, the issues that are going on right now. One of the big ones is we are in the middle of a conversion to electric vehicles. I, you know, I was just reading about GM. They are currently building their final generation of uh, combustion engines. I mean, the final V8 the GM will ever make, they're just started making those that last generation right now. It's kind of a sad day, I think, for America in some ways, but the left will say this is a, this is a bright future ahead of us. I, I, I disagree. Uh, they are just not, electric vehicles are just not selling. America's not buying them. Hmm. It represents less than 1% of the vehicle fleet right Still now. Still less than 1%? Yes. And wow. uh, what we see here is, I, well, I've been talking a lot about this really unrecognized danger from electric vehicles. It's their lithium ion batteries that are highly volatile. These vehicles can spontaneously combust. They're extremely difficult or nearly impossible to put out when they catch on fire. Mm. And this can be at 2 a.m., 2 3 a.m. in the morning in your garage or in a parking garage. Uh, these are rare events, but they do occur. Uh, Chevrolet has just recalled nearly all of the Chevrolet vaults. Uh, for this fire danger. Uh, there was another Chevrolet Volt just last week that caught on fire in a parking lot. Uh, now the parking lots in the area are banning electric vehicles in their parking lot. And, and think about this nightmare scenario. This is the thing that I, I, it should keep you up at night. These things happen. What happens when an electric vehicle, uh, a Tesla or a Volt catches on fire in an underground parking garage beneath an office building mm. or an apartment building. It's gonna be horrific. Uh, you wouldn't even be, the, the fire department could, could hardly get even get to it. If they could get to it, they couldn't put it out. Um, and mm. the to toxic fumes that come from these fires are, are horrific. And, and it doesn't seem to, I mean, everything I've read uh, says, even if you take zero emissions from the time the car starts being driven, 
you have to look back before that to the construction of the car. And when you do that, you have to drive these cars for incredible amounts of miles before you even start breaking even when it comes to emissions. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's, uh, they're, they're, it's a shell game for them. Right. It is what it is. They're moving carbon emissions around from the beginning part and don't talk about that's what requirement there. They don't talk about the critical minerals that are needed to create mm. these things, things like lithium, uh, cobalt, uh, and the rare earth uh, elements that we need to do that. And 80% of these are produced and refined in China. Uh, for example, cobalt that's needed, it's mined by child labor in the Congo, and then they ship it to China for processing. So we're, we've just recently become energy independent, our oil independence from Saudi Arabia and the Middle East. We've just achieved that. And what Joe Biden wants to do, he wants to change this energy dependence from the Middle East and oil to China for rare earth minerals. And, right. for, it, it, <laughs> and believe me, China's not gonna be as willing to go along with what we did or what we want as Saudi Arabia has been over the last several decades. Yeah, I mean, Saudi Arabia's got its own set of problems, but they're not Indeed. China. <laughs> right. They're not China, which is, is, is a positive in this particular uh, <laughs> context. Um, let me go to, because electric cars, starting fires really bad. However, what the left will say is if you don't go to electric cars, we're gonna have more and more wildfires in the West. Everything's burning down. Australia was burning down last year, and now the West is burning down here in America. It's getting worse and worse and worse. At least that's their tale. Well, it is true that fires in the Western United States, each fire, uh, we've got some horrifically large fires yeah. and much more intense, and it's our fault. I admit that, mm. but it has nothing to do with climate change. It has to do mainly with the forest management practices we instituted in the 1980s when we stopped logging, we stopped thinning the forests. Um, so right now, the Sierra Nevada Conservancy says we have four to five times too many trees per acre. And it's easy to think, you understand, that means a larger, more intense fire. Right, Because right. there's more fuel. More fuel for the fire. The other thing we don't think about is the second greatest cause of soil moisture loss, first is evaporation. Mm -hmm. The second greatest is the amount of water that's sucked out of the soil by the plants and trees. Mm -hmm. So now you've got <laughs> four to five times too many trees mm. competing for that same scarce soil moisture. So it's, it's adding to the aridity. And not only that, when the fires do start, they used to be able to take their equipment down the logging roads and get to it, and you need that equipment to, right. to, to put them out. Well, those logging roads have grown up so the only way to get people in there is to airlift them, and you can't airlift this. this. So it's, it's a compounding of, of all these problems. Uh, it's, it's the forest floor that's now full of grasses and, and uh, problems like that. I talked to a, I spoke with a radio host from Reno last week, and she told me that her homeowners association forbids her from cleaning the pine needles from her property. Well, these pine needles are just, it's, <laughs> It's, it's just, it's, it's a fire waiting to happen. Yeah. 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 Give me a spark. I want to get a catch on fire. Uh, and so it's stupid things like that. Um, and we need, we need better, better forest management. But, and this, but this is a narrative that goes through all of these issues, I think. You know, I think it was Thomas Sowell who said there are no solutions. There's only trade-offs. And so when you do these things, there's always unintended consequences. There's always something that you're losing with all of this that you think you're gaining. And so they make an environmental case to stop logging, which I think to most people are like, well, yeah, we should stop cutting down those trees. That's bad for the environment. But in, in reality, you know, this is a renewable resource 
that we that you know human beings should be taking advantage of. Right. We we should have been doing that. Because if you like your spotted owls, I hope you like it roasted and well done. Because what they're doing is, is, I mean, what do we have to do? Destroy the forest to save the forest? Right. And, and these fires, they're, they're so hot and intense because of so much fuel that it's actually destroying the soil. In the past, these were mostly grass fires that swept through the area. Uh, just fa- fascinating history of, of fire in the West. Yeah. And we see globally fires. And in the United States, actually, the area burned has been is significantly less today than it was 80 years ago. So it's, yeah. it's been increasing slightly, but not very much, and still much less than it was than 80, back in the old days. Yeah, and then we saw the same type of thing in Australia when everyone was saying like, oh my gosh, look at all this fire. And then you look at the trends and there's there's no trend of an increase. In fact, it was actually a, a, a relatively low amount of acreage burned in Australia exactly. uh, last year. And we're, we're working with a, a Brazilian group, the Intellectos. They're mm. a scientific group similar to the CO2 coalition. Okay. And I talk with their, peop- their people and uh, Rafaela, one of their leaders, she just laughs. She says, when t- people talk about the, the Amazon rainforest burning down, she goes, you can't burn down. It's a rainforest, it does, you can't burn it down. <laughs> she goes, you can cut it down and then burn it. Right. But most of these are, are grasslands that are intentionally set in the Amazon. Mm. And so it's, it's, a, it's a completely different narrative when you look at what's actually happening. What we see so often though is the same cycle, I think, which is, we can go a long time. I mean, hurricanes is a great example of this. We went for a really long time with no hurricanes. Ten hitting. years. Yeah, ten years, ten which years. was totally against what they predicted. Not, not, we haven't seen that since 1850. 1850. So we go through that period, and through that period, there's no attention on that fact that there's no hurricanes coming. Who's talking about no hurricanes? Then one finally comes, and we're right back in the same place again, where it's global warming is causing this. They're making them bigger. They're making them stronger. Uh, we saw that already uh, this year. We've seen a couple big storms that have gone through, obviously hitting uh, Louisiana and then up in the Northeast. It's, it's, almost impo- it's a difficult thing to push back against because when there's good news, no one cares. Exactly. And, and in fact, I drove straight into Ida. I, I, was, oh, yes. I testified in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania against a, a really bad cap and trade bill up there. Mm. And it was the, I drove straight into the eye of the storm, torrential rainfall. But after that, I went back and looked. The flooding at Harrisburg on the Susquehanna, there were 50 other floods higher than that flood. So what, of those 50 previous floods were, what were they, just, uh, they were all naturally driven. But this one's, this one's climate change, yeah. right? And that's well, what, course, that's they, what they want you to know. Yeah, that's what they want. Yeah. Um, they, we have this cycle where the media will uh, promote some big, scary claim. And even when the thing doesn't happen, they still get their positive news cycle out of it, which is incredible. We're seeing that with, you know, there's a report about climate refugees going on. And it's been in the news quite a bit lately. And this claim is based on all sorts of crazy assumptions and things that I've already, you know, their models have already missed on this stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in my book, Inconvenient Facts, I, I, I actually touch on this because in 2005, the UN predicted that there would be uh, 20 million climate refugees by 2010. Mm. So I went back and I looked at the census data of these most at-risk islands and found that population had swelled and increased greatly. People were flocking to these so-called at-risk islands instead of fleeing from them. So in 2010, not to be outdone, the UN said, oh, well, it'll be 20 million climate refugees by the year of 2020. 
And now we look, you know, nothing, there, there aren't any, show me one climate refugee. <laughs> and the other thing I like to look at, uh, the Maldives, uh, an island nation chain in the, in the Indian Ocean. Uh, Very at risk. That's oh, flooding. it's That's what terrible. we hear all the time, yeah. There, it's going to it's it's be underwater any day. <laughs> right. There, there are 17 resort, seaside resort complexes being constructed or planned in the Maldives. 17. 17. And they're they're insured. These insurance companies are insuring these. Mm. Insurance companies avoid risk like the plague. And do you think these insurance companies and the equi- equity company companies funding these are going to do this if there really is a risk? Uh, and in <laughs> fact, these island nations that they're talking about, uh, we've had 400 feet of sea level rise since in 10,000 years. 400 feet. 400 feet. Wow. Since the last glacial mm-hmm. advance. These islands geologically continue to grow. Mm-hmm. In fact, many of these islands are expanding, not contracting. Mm, yeah, that, it's a geologic process. It, uh, oh, it's, yeah, and, and you'd know. Um, the book is really interesting because you know we've we've talked about it before, but it, it's like one of those books that you go back to a lot of times. You, you see a chart here, you hear a new claim, and you, um, you're always going back to reference it, which is great. Is there one thing in here that 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 because I have friends who say, look, I'm, they might be generally conservative, but, you know, they want to live in a clean earth. They want to live in a safe earth. And they see these things that are in the media all the time. And they say to me, like, look, why, why not just go with solar power? Why not go with electric cars and make this better? Who, who, why, why, why defend we, CO2? But we, the CO2 is the miracle molecule. We're being told it's the demon molecule. Right. We at the CO2 Coalition believe the combination of modest warming, it's warmed about eight-tenths of a degree since 1900. Mm-hmm. That's not too alarming to me. Uh, eight-tenths of a degree combined with increasing CO2. We see just huge benefits to the Earth's ecosystems and to humanity. And it's a story that goes unreported. Uh, by almost every metric, the ecosystems are, are improving. The human condition is improving. Uh, show me what's wrong. Uh, food crops are breaking, crops are breaking records year after year after year. Um, the uh, in, uh, severe uh, related deaths, extreme weather mm-hmm. related deaths have declined right 99%. Well, it's, a lot of it seems to be that they take us out of the process, right? They act as if we will not innovate, we will not adapt, we will not realize, you know, like uh, someone on an island, like the, 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 you know, the ocean levels, if they raise by a few inches, they're going to wind up putting seawalls and re- reinforcing it. And they're not going to just move. They're not going to just drown. They're going to do something to stop these things. They're going to adapt if these things occur. Yeah, and with sea level rise, we have a lot of very good data that shows that sea level rise is not accelerating. Mm. And we started adding CO2 to the atmosphere. And if CO2 is driving temperature rise, uh, we should see some indication of, of sea level rise in starting in the mid 20th century. We just don't see it. Mm. And you ask me about, well, what's the most important chart? Yeah. One, one that I, it, there's, there's a chart, that, the temperature data. It's the longest thermometer-based temperature record uh, available. And it goes back to the year 1659. Mm. And we can see from this that the warming trend that we're in started more than 300 years ago. Uh, and it's before my SUV was exactly. Built. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we had 250 years of warming that had to have been entirely naturally driven. Mm-hmm. But we're being told, well, that's all changed in the mid 20th century. Right. Now it's being driven by uh, carbon dioxide. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, the same forces that have been driving temperature 
for those many hundreds, thousands, and millions of years are still in place today. Those, they didn't stop in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, and we also see what I like to talk about, and I'm working on this in my new book, is to look at the look back through human history. Look back, we're, we're being told, aren't we, oh my God, we can't let it get a degree and a half or two degrees warmer, or we're mm-hmm. all gonna have famine, it's gonna be horrific. Yeah. What happened through human history when it did get that warm? And we can see that there's a strong correlation between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of human civilizations. The really warm periods, great empires rose up, food was bountiful, people prospered. Yeah. And it was the intervening cold periods that were well, yeah. just horrific. And you have the, that in the book too, where right? the cold is much worse for human beings than Absolutely. warm. Absolutely, <laughs> right. like the first great warming period coincided with the first, it was called the Minoan warm period, the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. The Hittites, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the first Chinese, they all arose during this really warm period. And then it started cooling precipitously and it was called the late Bronze Age collapse, coincided with this cooling temperature. And we went into many hundreds of years what was called the Greek Dark Ages related to this cooling. And, this and we is, see that repeated time and time again. And this is all obviously happening before we really have a way to deal with temperature, air conditioning and heating and all these other things. Uh, Greg writes home, we gotta leave it there, uh, executive director of uh, the CO2 co- Coalition, author of Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know, and a new book coming out soon. Greg, thanks for uh, coming on the program. Thank you. Beto O'Rourke, famous for losing constantly, is going to try to win again and likely is going to fail again. Now, if you don't know Beto from outside his presidential run, to back up a little bit before that, he ran against Ted Cruz. And one of the reasons why he had some success against Cruz, other than his massive fundraising numbers helped out by the MSNBCs of the world, um, he was kind of known as a relatively moderate Democrat. He was able to survive in Texas, he would say things that were like, OK, you know, like he would say that he believed in the Second Amendment, for example. Uh, he lost to Cruz in a pretty close election, about three percent, and then went on and decided that he was going to run for president. Now, he correctly uh, gathered he would not win the nomination for the Democratic Party nationally unless he seemed like a psychopath. So he decided to become a psychopath. Now, he was all, he was a psychopath before that, but he became psychopathic in his views to the point where he was saying, like, oh, hell, yeah, I'm coming for your guns. I'm going to grab all of them. Well, now, obviously, we know that didn't work in the presidential campaign either because he was terrible in so many other ways. But now to act as if he's going to be able to say those things and then come win the governor of Texas. I mean, it's just completely implausible. Um, You know, Greg Abbott, who's the governor of Texas currently, has much more competition from the right in his own primary than someone like Beto would ever provide him. But it probably does guarantee a Republican governor going forward if Beto is the nominee. So to that extent, I do support Beto for governor. So the way we eat, I know the way I eat is terrible, right? And a lot of times it's because convenience trumps everything else. You know, um, when you want to get good, solid, you know, delicious food, it's a lot of effort. The Uprising Food people are fixing that. They, this is a great company, and they've basically cracked the code on healthy things like bread. Now, bread is one of those things that's basically banned on every diet. Uh, chips banned on every diet. 
Um, however, Uprising Food decided, like, what if we make that stuff, we make it really healthy so that people can eat it and can, you know, can eat in a healthy way. And you're just not going to find something this healthy that tastes this good, that's this fresh delivered right to your door. There's only two grams of uh, net carbs per serving of bread, six grams of protein, nine grams of uh, fiber. They work on, you know, paleo, keto, if you're eating clean, if you've got low carb, if you've got high fiber, if you're going dairy free, all this stuff works with Uprising food. This is high quality stuff and can get right to your door. Uprising has made prebiotic fiber, uh, all these, th all these, you know, these buzzwords that come out. I don't even understand what half of them are. They've made it delicious. That word I do know. And I think you know it as well. Uprising Food is offering um, our listeners right now $10 off the starter bundle they have. Uh, it includes two super food, uh, food cubes uh, and four packs of the Freedom Chips. Those are like, they're kind of like, I call them almost like bagel chips. They're like that, that vibe, really delicious. Um, go to uprisingfood.com slash stew. The discount will automatically be applied at checkout. It's U-P-R-I-S-I-N-G food.com. Uprisingfood.com slash stew. Get 10 bucks off your first purchase of the starter bundle. It's uprisingfood.com slash stew. People say to me all the time, I'd love to watch your show on uh, Facebook, for example, but they keep blocking you in my feed. Okay, understandable. We can defeat big tech together, though. Here's how you do it. Go to uh, our Facebook page, Studios America, of course. And a couple steps to take. Uh, first, you got to follow uh, Studios America on Facebook. And then like uh, as well. You Combine those two together, it gives uh, extra power to the algorithm and uh, helps you see the stuff that we do and also helps spread it around to more people. We really do appreciate it. Also, you can review this program wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in. Trash. Thank you for reminding me to take out the garbage tonight. Whatever. I mean, these aren't really positive reviews, but I don't care. Five stars. I really do appreciate it. And when you give us a positive review, remember, it not only helps this show, but it hurts others. And that's the most important thing. So the housing market is still really hot, and it is uh, one of those things that if you have a real estate agent you can trust, you can really maximize uh, a transaction that could be life-changing. I mean, you sell your house at the right time, you could change your financial future for the rest of your life. You screw up a giant financial transaction like this, you could screw yourself financially for the rest of your life. It's that big of a deal. So don't trust that uh, the framework of that decision to someone you just see in some random ad or you just see their name under the house you're looking at on the internet or, God forbid, someone you just like bump into, some long-lost relatives, friends, cousins, former roommate. You don't need to do it that way. Realestateagentsitrust.com has screened real estate agents that go through an extensive process to make sure they have the best results for you in your area. Get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Check it out now. When you're watching the border situation run out of control, Remember the question that Donald Trump asked uh, <laughs> during the debate with Joe Biden back in the day. Who built the cages? You know, that kind of resonates, I think, to people today because the same situation is going on they were complaining about back in the day. Oh, by the way, I should tell you this. Tomorrow on the radio program, for the first time ever, Glenn Beck talks to Donald Trump. 
at least on the radio. They've talked for, you know, a bunch of times behind the scenes over the years, even before Donald Trump was a candidate for president, uh, going back, you know, many, many years now. Um, but uh, never before has he actually come on the show. Tomorrow is the first time. It's right at the beginning of the radio show. Don't miss it. Glenn Beck, Donald Trump, one-on-one, -on -one, should be quite interesting. We'll see you tomorrow.